This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. I don't know why I buy new pairs of pants. (laughs) Because every time I buy a new pair of pants, usually like in the first time I wear them, I stain them. And I don't stain them with like dirt or something you could wash out. It's usually like balsamic vinegar and oil dressing, right? Like in the first time I wear them and it falls on my pants, I was thinking about wearing the, you know, the dozens of pants I already have that just have these stains on them. And I usually try right away immediately to maybe wash them out, throw some stain remover on them and scrub them a little bit, throw them in the wash. But I know every time I do it, it's in vain. I take them out of the wash and they're ruined. I wear them around the house for a few days, but eventually I have to throw them away. And I wish that was just a problem with my pants, right? (laughs) But that's not just uh, the story of my new clothes. It seems to be the story of my life where... You say something and you, it's like, you know, the toothpaste that comes out of the tube. You can't get it back in the tube. You say something, it comes out and it stains a relationship. And you'd like to maybe make up for it and, or take it back, but it's already stained that relationship. Or maybe I did something, I hurt my relationship between myself and God or somebody else, and I'd like to take it back, but it's already stained my life. Made me think of a reading from from Jeremiah chapter 2, this prophet, he said this, Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing power, of de- powder, of detergent, use extra strength tide, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. The prophet is saying there is no amount of, of soap, there's no, there's no detergent that's powerful enough to scrub away the stains of sin in our life. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Where you said that thing to your spouse and, and for whatever reason, it was in the heat of the moment, you said it and it came out and there's nothing you could do to fix it. You couldn't eat the words again. You did something selfishly. You, you made a purchase or, 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 or did something that was just for you and, and it hurt the people around you and you wish you could take it back, but you can't take it back. And it's like this, this stain on your pants that, that, that's made it ruined. And, and maybe you're wondering, you know, if that's what I do with my, my clothes when I ruin them, when this stain kind of embeds itself into my clothing and now these stains have embedded themselves in my life, maybe God's just going to throw me away like an old pair of pants. And if that's how you feel, if, if you're wondering if, if you've gone too far, if there's nothing that, that, that even God could do to get the stains out of your life, well, I'm glad you're here. We're continuing our sermon series called Promises, Promises. And this whole sermon series is about looking into scripture and finding promises that we can hold on to no matter what the circumstances. And if you feel that your life has been too damaged by suffering, you want to exchange your life for somebody else's life, you want to live somebody else's story, if that's how you feel, I'm so glad you're here today. You know, you know that, that feeling of, of, of shame, that feeling of, of having these stains that have just blotted into our, uh, onto the, the, the fabric of our life, that, that's not a new feeling. In fact, when you go to the second page of the Bible, uh, we, we, or first, two, first page of the Bible, we, we meet the first two human beings. 
And, and, and God creates this brand new world. I mean, brand new, perfect world. He creates these first two human beings, um, Adam and Eve. Now, I believe that these were historical people. But the names Adam and Eve also mean, in the Hebrew, Adam means mankind or humanity. And Eve means life. And so although I believe these are historical people, they're also representative, representative of all human life. That's what their names mean, human life. And God placed before human beings this choice. They could either trust that God knows what's good and evil. God knows what's right and wrong. God knows what's good and bad. And they could submit and trust in God and put him at the center of their life. Or they could put themselves at the center of life and they could decide what's right and wrong. And that was representative of a tree called the tree of knowledge of good and bad or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, we know what happened, don't we? That famous story where tempted by the devil, they gave into that temptation, they ate from that tree and it wasn't just about eating from the trees, what that meant, that now they were putting themselves in the center, that they wanted to be God, that they wanted to be the authority over right and wrong, good and bad. And when they did that, it was like that oil falling onto your pants, right? It was a stain that embedded into the very fabric of human beings. And not just human beings, but all of nature, all of creation, and we see evidence of it everywhere. We see a very good world um, that, that has uh, beautiful sunsets and beautiful nature and, and wonderful people. But then we also turn on our news feed and we hear about another mass shooting in Texas. And we see how the evil and wickedness has been embedded, not just, and not just out there on, on the news, but inside of us, in us. And when we really think about, about how much the stains of sin have been embedded into who we are, we wonder if God is just going to throw us away like an old pair of pants. In fact, we wonder if not even God can get the stains out of this world. And I think that's what many, even Christians, believe. When I talk to, to Christians about how they view this world, um, many times the, the, the view of salvation that I hear from people is that this world has been so tainted by sin, the best that we can hope for is that God is going to save our souls. That the goal of life is just to believe in Jesus, and if you believe in Jesus, God will save your soul when you die. But as far as your body in this world, it's too stained, too ruined, and God's just going to throw it away. I call this the Titanic view of salvation. Uh, you know the story of the Titanic, this gigantic boat that the people thought was indestructible and it goes out on its first trip and it hits this giant iceberg and cracks open and then water fills up the Titanic until it starts to sink and crack and went to the bottom of the sea. And salvation for the people on that boat was just to jump somehow to a life raft and float to some other place. And what they did on that boat, the entertainment they enjoyed, the friendships they enjoyed, didn't really matter. All that mattered was to jump onto the life raft. Well, when I talk to Christians, um, very often I, I hear that kind of same view of this world. That, you know, this world has been broken open by sin. It's been flooded by sin. It's damaged. It's going down. And our only hope is to jump onto the life raft of Jesus and save our souls. But that's not how the Bible describes the story of salvation. It's not a story of the Titanic. 
Here's the good news. God is able to get the stains out of this world. God is able to get the stains out of your life and mine. And, and to, to see that, we need to go all the way to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation to many people is this scary book that you shouldn't touch, right? Just this kind of crazy book with all these different um, apocalyptic visions and, and visions of beasts and dragons and sounds more like, you know, Harry Potter than the Bible to some people. And so some people don't read Revelation, but yeah, Revelation has some maybe strange visions, but it's nothing really new that you won't find in other parts of Scripture. And at the very center of the last book of the Bible, Revelation, it's a book about hope. Do you know the circumstances that were surrounding the book of Revelation? Um, Revelation was written by John, one of Jesus' last disciples. And by this time, he's an old man, and all the other followers of Jesus, the disciples, had been martyred for their faith. They'd been killed for their faith by this time. And, and all of them have been, been killed, and now John is in exile in a prison cell uh, for his faith. He's the last one left, and he's in jail in an island called Patmos, right off present-day Turkey. And, you know, you could think probably from John's perspective, uh, he probably thinks that, that this whole world, or the, the whole Christian faith is going to get swallowed up by the Roman Empire. He probably thinks that his faith is just going to be wiped out with the rest of Christians. And so, in the middle of that maybe despair, in the middle of that doubt, John gets a vision from Jesus. It's as if Jesus kind of peels back the, the curtain to show him what's really going on, who's really in charge right then, and who's going to be in charge until the rest of history, for the rest of history. And so when you get to the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 20, we have this chapter that gives a very brief synopsis of the time period from the time of Jesus to the time of his return, the time of Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And he said that there's going to be a time of, of great um, gospel preaching. People are going to come to faith. But then in the last days, the, the devil seems to have some power, seems to be let loose, and there seems to be lots of, of, of people falling away and, and lots of darkness until Jesus returns. And at the very end of Revelation 20, you have this vision of all of humanity coming before Jesus on Judgment Day. And then on Judgment Day, people are separated those who've rejected Jesus, they are judged based on what's written about them in the books, judged based on their deeds. And they will have to answer for their deeds. And then those who have trusted in Jesus, those who are believers, it says that their names are written in the book of life and, and they receive their reward. Even they're rewarded for the things that they did in God's name by grace. People are separated into heaven and hell. And that's usually as far as we go when we talk about Jesus' return. Judgment day, heaven and hell, amen. But that's not where the Bible ends. There's still two more chapters in the Bible. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what happens after judgment day in Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, after judgment day, John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now, first thing we need to know about this is the word heaven in both Hebrew and Greek in the New Testament, Old Testament is the same word as sky. 
And so you could translate this verse, then I saw a new sky and a new earth, for the first sky and the first earth had went away, and there was no longer any sea, no, nothing to separate people anymore. Now, when you look at this verse, uh, it, it, you might sound like, hey, this sounds familiar. Have I read anything about God creating a heaven and an earth? Yes. You have. It, it's the very first page of the Bible. The very first verse of the Bible, the Bible begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what we find out at the very end of things, he says, I'm going to make a renewed heaven, a renewed sky, and a renewed earth. Now, when you think about God making something new, we should think about him making something that, that we already know, but making it new. Like if I would say, I'm going to go buy a new pair of pants because I stain these, right? You wouldn't expect me to go buy a shirt or a hat. I would buy pants just newer. If I'd say, you know what, my car is breaking out, it's getting old, I'm going to get a new car. You wouldn't expect me to show up with a bicycle or, or a tractor. You would expect me to have a car like my car just made new. And when God says on the last day he's going to, make a renewed sky and a renewed earth, I think we should think a lot like this earth, but made new. He's going to make this world new. He's going to get the stains out of this world. Um, in, in Romans chapter 8, it's, it's even more vivid where, where Paul says all of creation is groaning. All this world, this world, when, when there's pain and suffering and death and decay, it's groaning, waiting to be liberated. This world is not waiting to be destroyed. It's waiting to be liberated. And if you heard in the, in Jesus, uh, in the reading from Matthew, Jesus says, you know what? I return at the renewal of all things, not at the destruction of all things, when everything will be made new at the renewal of all things. So once God renews all things, what's he going to do in this renewed world when he makes this world new? John goes on to say, well, then I saw the holy city, God's place, the new Jerusalem, God's place, coming down out of heaven, out of the sky from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God is dwell God's dwelling place is now among his people. And God will dwell with them and he will be with his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So God is going to come down to this renewed world and dwell again with his people. Like, and, and, and God's people, God's church is going to come down to dwell with, with him like a bride coming down the aisle. Now, this seems very different than a lot of the prayers that, that sometimes I would pray or maybe I heard other Christians pray. As one pastor said, he says, I hear a lot of Christians praying Star Trek prayers. God, beam me up, Scotty. You know, beam me up. This world's bad. Get me out of here. Save my soul. Get me up to your place way up there somewhere. But that's not what this, this is saying. This sounds a lot more like the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come down. That's what we're looking forward to, not to be beamed up somewhere, but God to finally come down again and dwell with his people like he did in the days of Jesus, like he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden of the cool of the day. We're looking forward to the day when God will come down and dwell with his people. And so... As you're envisioning Jesus' second coming, when he comes back, I think what we should be thinking about is a resurrected body. Body just like this one, but resurrected. 
A resurrected world, um, a world just like this one, but one that's renewed. And most importantly, a renewed relationship with God, a relationship that we have with God right now, but one that's been made new. So an existence very similar to this one, but made new. But won't, what won't be part of that renewed world? What will be different? And that's what John says in the next verse. He says, And then he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. In other words, God's going to get the stains out. It's going to be a world much like this one, but no pain, no suffering, no mourning, no crying. He's going to get the stains of sin out. He's going to get the stains out. God is powerful enough to get the stains out, to get the pain out, to get the suffering out, to get the brokenness out. And that's why Jesus um, closes out this section by saying, He who is seated on the throne said, that's Jesus. Jesus is, is exalted in heaven. He is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Not I'm making new things, but I'm making everything new. Everything we see, our bodies, our world, um, everything, our relationship with God, God is going to make everything new. And that's our first fill in the blank. Everything is going to be new. That's what we're looking forward to. Everything is going to be new. Or in other words, I wish I would have thought about this earlier in the week. God will get the stains out. God will get the stains out. Our creation is not ruined beyond repair. Our bodies are not ruined beyond repair. God will get the stains out. Now that's a crazy promise, isn't it? I mean, if I can't even get the stains out of my pants, how is God going to get the stains out of this world and out of my life? That is an incredible promise that Jesus is making. Well, the reason Jesus can make that promise is because he proved it with his life. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, the perfect son of God, God in the flesh, walked into this world. He came into this world, and although he is perfect because he is true man and true God, he's the only person who could say this in absolute humility, I've never sinned. But as he walked this world, he became kind of like a divine Velcro. All the sin and stains of our world got sucked to him. They stuck to him and he brought them to the cross. Everything that you've ever done, every pain and suffering you've ever done, they were stuck to Jesus. And then the evil of this world did its worst. He was ridiculed in the worst way possible. He was spit on. He was abused. He was stripped naked. He was, he was put on the worst torture chamber this world has ever invented. And he was rejected by his father. And he took all of the weight of our sin. And this looked like a tragedy. It looked like evil won. It looked like the worst stain um, that this world has ever produced, except for this fact. He rose from the dead. He came out of the grave transformed. And, and he was Jesus, but he was different because um, his disciples uh, didn't recognize him until he showed them his hands and his feet. Until he ate with them and spoke with them, uh, their eyes were open. They, they saw this was Jesus who walked with them, who was crucified, but he was transformed. 
And now the Bible makes this claim, what God did to Jesus, what Jesus did, he now has the power to do to you, do for you. Because he lives, you too shall live. The Apostle Paul brings this out in Philippians, his letter to the Philippians chapter 3. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. We don't wait the day to get beamed up, but we wait for him to come down. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, Jesus has all authority and power as our resurrected Savior. By that power, he will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. That's the promise. That Jesus, who went to death first, who went through hell first, who went through pain first, he will has now has the power to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. But what was his glorious body like? I think there's a pretty interesting application here. Um, when, when Jesus was crucified, the, the nail marks on his hands and his feet and, and, the, and the, 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 the spear mark in his side was evidence of this world's cruelty, of this world's pain, of this world's evil. But when he was resurrected, he kept those nail marks. And he kept um, the nail marks in his hand and the spear mark on his side. But now they were transformed into trophies of glory, into evidence of his power, and evidence of his love, and evidence of his mercy, and evidence of God's forgiveness. And in some way, God's going to do that with you. We all have different scars, self-imposed scars, maybe scars that had happened to us through abuse or or whatever. We all have scars in our own life. And what God has done in Jesus Christ, he will do for you. That somehow in glory, those scars that were evidence of your sin or the sin in this world will somehow be transformed into something glorious. Evidence of God's power and might and his love. And so that all leads to this application it's a very clear application. I'm sure you'd come up with this too. Here's my application. Wear your pants. What I mean by that is live your story, right? You know, when I stain my pants, the first thing I want to do is run back to the store and get a new pair. But try to do that once, right? That doesn't work. You can't say, um, something happened here. Uh, these pants got stained. Do you think we can exchange them? And they say, no, you bought it. You bought it. That's your, those are your pants. You got to wear those pants, right? And I think sometimes we want to do that with our own life. We look at the scars in our life, the blotches in our life, the pain in our life, either self-imposed or afflicted upon us, and we look at somebody else's life and we think, I wish I had their life. I wish I was walking in their shoes. I wish I was wearing their pants. I wish I had their life. But if God is going to make everything new and he's going to make your life new, he wants to use your story. He doesn't want to use somebody else's story. He wants to use your story. And he's powerful enough to get the stains out of your life, not somebody else's, out of your life. So he wants you to live your life. Embrace your story. Embrace um, all the things that have happened to you and, and, and the things that you have done to know that God can get the stains out. You know, I began this sermon by quoting from Jeremiah where it says that our sin is so... 
uh, so embedded into our life. It's so bad. It's so tainted us that no soap was strong enough to get the stains out. But that's why we need something stronger than soap. The blood of Jesus. In fact, when you go to the last book of the Bible, again, Revelation chapter 7, um, John is brought forward by a messenger, takes him out, and he has this vision in, John, in Revelation chapter 7. He's got this vision of all these people from every language, nation, tribe, and people. Different skin colors and sizes and, and facial features. And, and the messenger asks John, he says, John, who are all these people? And John says, I don't know. You must know. And the messenger says this, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. John was looking at a whole group of people, different races, different backgrounds, different skin colors, different facial features, but they all had one thing in common. They were all wearing white because their sins had been purified in something stronger than any detergent in the blood of Jesus. What John was looking at, he was looking at you, you, your DNA, your fingerprint, your facial features, your ethnicity. He was looking at you, but you were made new. And so that's why I pray that we would all embrace our story, that you would wear your pants, right? That you would live your life, not somebody else's life, that you would live your life because God is going to make everything new. And that includes you. He's starting to do that right now. As you put your faith in Jesus, he is calling you new. And when he returns, he'll finish the job. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we don't hide anything from you today. We're wearing our, our, our pants today before you. We're wearing our, our clothes before you. All the blotches, all of the stains, all of the stains, we bring them before you. We bring you all of our scars, all those things that have been afflicted on us. And we trust your promise that one day you will make all this new. Our, our world, um, our, our bodies, you're going to make everything new. And now in the hope of that promise, make us new today. Let your kingdom come on us today. Begin that, 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 that process of transforming us into the likeness of your son so others might see your work and glorify our God in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.